This podcast is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky stuff. You know, any film that we talk about here, we recommend you see in advance. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Horror. You got red on you. They're coming to get you, Barbara. everyone and welcome to another brand new episode of oh oh the horror it's a horror movie podcast where we take a look at classic and modern horror films from an expert and a newcomer's perspective i'm the newcomer steve allman and i'm the expert rob holmes and today oh by golly what a holly jolly gore fest we have today the 1986 david cronenberg classic the fly starring the immaculate jeff goldblum and gina davis (sighs) Yeah, this this film is this film is superb and it's so expertly it's so expertly crafted and put together and and the story is very very simple. I man, I I it's been a minute since I've actually seen this movie and I forgot how just horribly depressing and sad this movie is. Yeah. This is it, it this really is, is. A, this movie's a real bummer. Yeah. No, it's it's a total it's a total bummer. It's it's watching somebody kind of a brilliant scientist who's a recluse have this descent into madness because of experimenting with his creation too early. You know, I mean, he basically what leads to it is he's upset over a girl, he gets drunk, and he decides he's just gonna go ahead and experiment on himself, play with science. And it, it shows what happens when it shows the dangers that exist there. And this, this actually is a very classic story because the fly... Um, I think it's a Vincent Price move, move film, right? Uh, from like the fifties, yeah. And in that one, his head turns into the fly, and I think his hands turn into little like weird appendage things. I'm pretty sure that that's the only thing that happens in the original. In this one, it is a full-on transformation. No, yeah, it's, the only it's, way... it's a full-on abomination that consumes Jeff Goldblum and his mind in a complete form of like character work and like body transformation it's such a treat that we let david cronenberg make movies in the mid to late 80s because wow he was at the top of his game uh oh absolutely i mean this one this one in particular everything about this movie is is strong the special effects work you know you have the the score uh that was composed by howard shore absolutely fantastic god man this now i understand you know it's i it's and it's same with me it's been a little bit since i've seen the fly um i think actually i'd seen the fly 2 more recently than the fly and the fly 2 is just it's very inferior to this Uh, yeah sure i mean like we have a different director i would assume and we have like kind of a lesser story uh right and it was just a few years later and it's definitely not nearly as good i always think that people need to watch it along with a fly though in order to appreciate the fly that much more because there's people who i know who have seen the fly and are like eh, it could be better i wish they had done this or i wish they had tried something different and then i'm like great watch the fly too and then they do and then they're like man I really just want to watch The Fly again. So I'm like, yeah, you do. So yeah, getting do. into like the nitty gritty of this movie, I'd like to like kind of spe- like we all have a, a lot to say about Jeff Goldblum because what else is there to say about Jeff Goldblum? He's amazing. He does an amazing job in this movie. Like 
it's probably one of the pinnacles of his acting career. But what I will say is that I've had a few problems with this movie only for the sec- the the uh, probably innate sexism that like does not age well in this movie. Uh, this movie just completely shits on Gina Davis's character at every single turn. Uh, not only does Jeff Goldblum treat her like shit, but also her boss and is like really, really, uh, it, this movie, it, like, it does not put on a good look for like how this movie treats Gina Davis. No, but I think it, it, it exposes this type of stuff very well. Like John gets his character of being, uh, the boss who's also the ex-boyfriend who's misogynistic. And she straight up just tells him off a couple of different times. Uh, I mean, you barely, know, but like that. But go... the, the main problem is that like this guy does not learn re- really learn his lesson. He's just like kind of like okay, I guess I'm just gonna be this now. I'm gonna be the guy that protects you after I've clearly like chastised you for moving on and breaking up with me. It's, you know, in, it, it's in still a, strange... a very shitty attitude. It it really is, but there's something very realistic about this. Uh, especially in the time that this was done in the 80s and that type of culture, right? So he's a scientist who, or an inventor, is a, is a recluse, you know? He's very eccentric. Occasionally, I guess, goes out. We start this film with him just meeting her at a party. Right away, within the first eight minutes, we get this connection between the two of them, and we find out that he is working on a teleporter. Right away, this movie just gets right to it and that kind of makes me feel i really like that about this because they're not setting anything up except just saying hey uh on this night this is where these two people met here we go right and And it's the movie moves along at a very brisk hour and a half like it's it does not really have any fat going on here. Like, the moment that we are introduced to Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis's characters, they immediately meet, they immediately try, are, like, smitting with each other, and yeah. like, we, we divulge the uh, transportation uh, or teleportation element, like, within, the, like, minute five. And well, and the exposition coming out of her being a reporter and how he knew that she was, I mean, it's really great uh, in, the, in the way that that all comes together. Um this movie is just so it's written like a play and it feels like it could just be staged in a in a very true theater especially something that would be you know off broadway i think the fly that's why this works so well is because it has that feel you're only dealing with a, a few main characters there are some side characters because it is a film but you're dealing with jeff goldblum gina davis and john getz for the majority of this film mm-hmm those are the three characters. It is a bizarre love triangle to a T. I mean, it is very... That's what's great about this is because it's dealing a lot with characters and it's dealing a lot with humanity and the loss of humanity as we go through this and jealousy. And jealousy is really what leads to this. It leads to Seth Brundle getting extremely drunk one night and deciding to go into his teleporter, which he, he's been experimenting on. Things that are inanimate can go from one to place to another. That's apparently what he does to pick up Gene, Gina Davis's character by putting her uh, pantyhose right. in there. And I love how uh, and, the movie uh, is intentionally vague about certain things only because it's like the 80s and this is obviously just like gobbledygook fantasy oh, magic. Yeah. Because it, the like the greatest thing for telling like showing the age of a movie is how they deal with talking about computers. Because, right. <laughs> because when Jeff Goldblum, every time he tries to explain 
to Gina Davis, like what he's doing on a computer. He's like, I'm talking to the computer and it's, I, I'm trying to convince it that I'm a human or something like, like he's talking to somebody because right. nobody else could understand what a computer does other than you type stuff. No, actually, in. I think, I think what's really great about that moment, other than the fact that computers were just starting to be used in the mid eighties as a, a commercial thing, um, you know, for mass consumerism, like late eighties, early nineties, they started pushing that. What I really find interesting is he has a better communication with computers than he does with humans. That's kind of how he says why I'm talking to it. You know, it's like I'm explaining to the computer that I'm doing this. Adds an element to his character that I really enjoy. Something that I find just really, really awesome about this whole film in general is that it gets to the point so quickly about like how all of this stuff is done like oh well how do you do all your teleportation like how did you create this thing and he's like honestly uh i just had some guys uh, that i source stuff out to they built all the stuff and i just put it together right and it, like it, it's very much a movie that doesn't want to get bogged down in the science of it all because it's just like it, it's just here where a lot of questions is like okay how did you get the funding for this who built this how did you discover all of this and a lot of, like, typically movies would answer those questions within the first maybe 20 minutes or 30 minutes. But no, boom, we're here. Our main problem is I can't quite transport living things yet. That's it. It's already here. We're just having this problem. And the movie goes from there, which makes it feel so odd that, like, we have an hour and a half of Jeff Goldblum to lose his mind. But it's great because it happens. So you have so much going on in the beginning. Your exposition shoots right by. This is a very lean film at being around 96 minutes long. That is amazing. Um, and this is a very low-budget film because it is very – it's a tight location where they are. It's kind of like a bottle episode for, for a TV show. You know, you're mainly staying in his lab. You know, you go to a couple of other locations, but primarily you're in his loft slash lab. Uh, this film only had between like a nine and fifteen million dollar budget and grossed in the U.S. alone sixty million. So it was very. It was actually his most profitable that. movie, as I actually looked at some of the stats as well. That like that's his most. Well, and he, yeah, Andy won an Academy Award for this film, which is something that has never he's never done for any of his others. So. Um, for or at least for for screenplay, it's, um, it, so that's that's a huge thing. It's a, it's an incredible achievement, and like we we may as well get to. Uh, the actual like highlight of this movie, which is the practical effects. Right. Uh, apart from the amazing oh, performances, man. both by Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum. Uh, yeah, I think the one, second to none. There's even, one, even the, yeah, the there's, little there's things. one thing that, well, there's, there's the little things that kind of, that, that don't work so well in this, where now that you can watch this um, in 1080 or 4K or whatever, whatever. Uh, and you could always notice it in the 80s film, but anytime a stunt double would come in, uh, when so after he goes through uh, the telepod with the fly in there, um, and he doesn't see it, and it's such a cool moment. I mean, how everything happens in there, you're just like, wow, hope, okay, what's gonna happen next? And right away, he starts to act differently. Where he had um, fallen on a uh, little circuit board that had cut him, he's now growing these like very coarse, fibrous hairs. He decides that this one scene, and it's this very, it's a cool scene, but this is where the stunt doubles in. It's no dialogue. Right, and it's yeah. him getting up, walking in, and he just starts working out. And Gina Davis wakes up, <laughs> and she just goes out there, and she sees him working out. And he's doing this insane gymnastics routine 
on this like bar that's in his loft and it's really cool to see but at the same time you're like yeah not jeff goldblum but it's it's a great routine and then he finishes and you're like hey jeff goldblum how you doing man it's a good, uh, as he walks good, back up it's towards her it's an absurdly it like the the most hilarious part of this is that it is performed in dead silence as gina davis just watches from his fuck off huge loft apartment slash lab it's like it's it's absurd that he is just driven to do these gymnastics moves. Like he's not like, oh my god, all this power is so unwieldy. Like it's it's just I'm doing this in dead silence. I need complete focus. Do not interrupt me, Gina. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it's interesting. It's almost like um, okay, so it is kind of like Metamorphosis watching. So if he was kind of like a, a butterfly coming out of a cocoon for the first time, and her watching that happen, and him exploring that or some shit. Mm. And the reason I say that is because we're talking about Cronenberg. Um, so a lot of his films have, you know, there's so many different layered themes inside of almost any scene that he could be doing. I think with this, it works really well to keep it silent. He didn't need to say anything. It's kind of this, she seems in awe by what he's doing. He seems kind of like, all right, I'm a, I'm a scientist. Let's, let's see what I can do. Let's push the limits of how far I can go. And it's a cool way to do it without having to go into a heavy montage scene. Right. So we know he's powerful right off of that. And he thinks it's great and he can do all of these amazing things. And maybe he, he doesn't know that he's been a fly has gone with him. He thinks he is kind of just filtered out whatever toxins existed in his body and when he was put back together molecule by molecule it purified him so he thought that he was a, a better version of a human and you're watching this mental degradation happen and then you start watching a physical degradation which starts very subtly with these little marks on his face yeah uh and it just progresses every time it's, you see him from there yeah it's the it's the gradual because like honestly i didn't oh, notice so gradual like I had researched, like, when they actually started putting, like, prosthesis and, like, makeup effects on his face. Right. And it's and it's right. as early as when he brings back that one girl from the bar. Like, it, it's that soon. And I was like, oh. There so were, just, yeah, like, I mean, slightly... there was makeup on him right away. There was, like, little marks because after, you know, he was having a ton of sex because his, his energy was up. And Gina Davis is like, look, we got we to gotta take a break. And he's like, no, I want more. He wasn't able to be satiated and you could start seeing these tiny little dots on his face that looked like he was just kind of tired or flushed um but then as he's eat as he's ingesting that much sugar where she's like do you want any coffee with your sugar he has what looks like um happens to addicts when they're doing speed you know they get that little marks on the face and stuff like that and like little speed bumps and stuff he starts getting that stuff and you're like oh man they're really delving into this this degradation of himself even though he feels like he has all this energy it's taking away so much well, from the, him. the important thing is that he's twisting it into a sort of almost semi-religious experience where he is to be like made pure and made whole and to like uh like it, it is a like it is a baptism to him that this is a sort of uh, thing that, like, all people should do, whether or not, like, the impl the scientific implications of uh, what it could mean for the world and, like, his glory of all getting right. a Nobel Prize is, like, dashed aside to, like, I just feel good. Well, and he to him, he was born again. Yeah. He literally was born again. So anything that he's going through right now is going to 
his mind is racing because it's been put with a fly. So automatically, like, the way they've blended that together to give him those characteristics of a fly, craving sugar, um, and the energy dealing with sex and how he moves around and how he thinks... It's, it's going off these base instincts and watching him start to devolve from there. You think at first, yes, maybe he is be- has become this better human, but then he starts to worry when they, he starts to fall apart and thinks it's a, this aggressive form of cancer. Now, before that happens, uh, yeah, he walks out on Gina Davis and decides he's going to go down to this bar just wearing a leather jacket or whatever type of jacket, uh, and his, his slacks, no shirt underneath. Why? Uh, because he's Jeff Goldblum. And he goes into this bar, he hits on this girl, these two guys are arm wrestling. He decides to make him a bet. He's eating candy bars like crazy. This dude just eats him. He's, he looks like he's got acne all over his face now at this point, because it's gotten that much worse. And then he, he arm wrestles the guy and secretes this stuff out of his, his hand. And then it, it wears down the guy and he just snaps the dude's wrist. And it is, at that point, you're like, oh man, what type of movie have we gotten ourselves into? This is going to be nasty. I mean, we have seen baboons. We have seen baboons turned inside out by this point. We have seen what happens when an, or, uh, animate objects go in there before he fixes it because of the whole flesh and the skin thing, uh, which Gina Davis helps him figure out. But... Uh, it's, it's like, this is the moment to me where you're like, oh shit, this dude, this dude is about to mess some people up bad. Right. And, uh, we, speaking of messing people up, we may as well talk about like the, the wrist snapping scene in the bar, because again, uh, not the best look when you're like, I could, I could beat you at an arm wrestling competition. And if I do, I get well, to take your I mean, girlfriend yeah. home with me. Like, well, well that's right, exactly what look. I was just, that's, ex- well, that's exactly what I was just talking about. Like yeah. he, it's just, it's so visceral. It's like at that moment, we know that we're in for something, uh, major because when he snaps that wrist, when it breaks up and we see the bone and we see everything protruding out, it's not just a simple, Hey, I snapped back. It's like I'm not just I'm tearing it away. We're we're doing a heavy compound fracture on this. Right. And but but like and, the, a, a great thing about the effects in this movie uh while they do not look they, they look incredible and they look gross and they look like oh, yeah. vile and repulsive. I don't they don't strike me as uh, what I would call realistic. Uh they strike me as stylized because like I don't think of uh, an arm like snapping like that when somebody has like been to like an arm wrestling competition. Like it's very like over the top the way that that well, thing. The, like, the reason for that, uh, the reason for that is, you know, when he's secreting that goo that absorbs into the guy, which right. weakened that area. So it's already weakened his hand from that. So that's kind of the give that we are dealing with something that isn't going to deal with traditional blood and gore violence. We're dealing with something that is transformative violence, we're dealing with creature violence, we're dealing with something that is Cronenbergian violence. Uh, it's that whole Rick and Morty thing about, you know, Cronenberg. Like, that's why how big of a thing it is, is that it's, like, used as an entire planet or dimension oh, for, yes. you know, Rick and Morty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, like, as uh, as amazing as it is, it's uh, it's the style of that kind of effect right. world like that is a cronenberg like effect and then when we get to like again the final scene of like his final transformation into uh the fly creature uh as- well before we even get to that, i mean it's it, it's it's such a long prolonged thing when we get to that final final transformation that's an epic moment in itself it but i think everything we go through 
So it's only been, God, I think he was he was only with uh, Veronica for like a couple of. This movie's passage passage of time is a bit odd. Like I'm not quite sure how long. Like I think it's two months total because I think he's with so so Veronica goes by Ronnie most of the time, um, and she's a science journalist. That's kind of how they have this whole thing going on which i kind of like that she's a science journalist it works really well into it it's not just some basic magazine it's something that actually relates to that field so there is a generalized interest um but let's see i think he's with her for a few weeks in the beginning and then they're not together anymore because he basically just cheats on her and and kicks her out and he doesn't see her for a month because he talks about how it's been four weeks um since he's seen ronnie i think or since the transformation has happened because it happens like a a couple days after so it's been probably two months i think by the time we see him again um from the beginning of the film so he has started he thinks it's some sort of cancer he's reached out to her and wants to see her and he's like i think i have this type of cancer and she's like oh by the way um i'm pregnant with your baby Except hasn't told him this yet. She's pregnant with the baby, but has not told him that she's pregnant with the baby. Right. and um, it, Because that is found out way later, and that leads to this whole thing. But in her mind, she's like, oh, man, I, I'm pregnant with your baby. And she finds that out, I guess, maybe yeah. right after that moment. Well, and here's, but, here's um, the thing. Uh, yeah. th- this Again, also, this movie like makes a weirdly good case for abortion. Like, we, like politics aside, like there's a... There is a very strong case that Gina Davis is brought to to like go to the doctor to have this procedure done, and they're like, okay, well, why do we need to get it done? And it's like, it's from somebody that is like, it's ru- yeah. like they're struggling to say it, but like they have their reasons, and like it can be applied to like it's a malleable reason, and it's it's profound to actually hear that for like a movie say that they're like we need like this cannot happen like this this was wrong right this but is a but it but it, it um it does happen because in the sequel uh ronnie dies during childbirth but has a baby and that baby is eric stoltz character and he is trying to follow in his father's footsteps um and that whole that leads to its own thing you know it, it's it does stay with the whole Seth Brundle storyline, which I find cool that it, it tries to go with that continuity. I'm just not a fan of some of the stuff that goes on in the film, but that's neither here nor there. We are talking about this one. And it that, that scene in particular is horrifying, especially the dream sequence that she has. Um, where she... It's Cronenberg, actually, as the gynecologist when she's going in there to get this abortion, he's like, no, there's more in there. And it's this giant squirming uh, maggot, basically, just wiggling around that's the size of a baby. And that's just freaking her out. And she's like, I want this out of me. I want this out of me now. Um, You know, we've seen Seth falling apart. He's losing his mind. Every time we see him, he looks more decrepit and frail. 
And we think he, I honestly think at certain moments he feels like he's going to wither away and ear falls off here, hair's falling off there. You see the Seth Brundle Museum of Natural History that includes, you know, his penis, his other ear, teeth, uh, fingernails, like that scene where he starts pulling them off and he squeezes all the pus out. I'm like, dude. Oh, yeah. It's, and what? like, again, the, the, the amount of effort put mm. into the styling of all of those things, knowing that Jeff Goldblum is in this, like, what turns into a bodysuit, uh, is, is yeah. incredible. By, by the time we get to the end of it, and what, what, you know, what happens in between there is, you know, Gina Davis has taken those hairs, had them analyzed, they realize they're insect hairs, um, they think they might be fly hairs, and he then does some research and figures out that he merged with Fly, and he, he now calls himself Brundlefly and is documenting everything he, about himself he now, how Brundlefly eats. He programs his own setting into the teleporter when he wanted to... <laughs> When he wanted to merge right. with Gina Davis and the baby, it's 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 a little funny just to know that he wrote that in. Yeah, well, she wants to have the abortion, and he said, you know, he kidnaps her in that traditional um, horror movie trope of the, you know, in the fifties yeah. and even before that, classic horror movie trope of kidnap the damsel in distress, you know, take them here. But he gives her this option of, are you sure you don't want to have the baby? And she's like, no. And he said, well, that's too bad then we're going to merge together to be one happy family. And it's like, dude, you are completely insane. Yes. Um, and then all of a sudden, John Getz, who goes from being the kind of rapey ex-boyfriend boss, is now the hero? I don't, I don't know it's a, how it's, that it's happens. Kind of a, you know it's, it's a, it's a transition life that that character does thing. not earn and is not translated well enough in the movie to make it feel right. I'll say because oh, no, he's he gets just, fucked up though, dude. Just he gets like, so messed up that it's totally like, all right, well, you save the day, but at what cost? At what cost? Yeah, and like even after the the entire resolution of that, I'm still like, okay, we should really like keep keep up getting that abortion. Like we still can't like let that happen. Like that's like mm -hmm. I, yeah, like that should still be foremost in my mind. Like we still need to get rid of that bad baby. Uh, yeah, I I don't really know. You know, remember, we're also talking about a sequel, and the sequel had John Getz in it, so he has a prosthetic hand and a fake uh, foot in the film. So, you know, they definitely tried to keep some of that stuff going uh, for this. Um, so there's more to it, you know, it, it is this kind of universe that they're, they're dealing with, but as we get to the end, you know, he's trying to merge all of them together, and... Uh, as it's about to happen, luckily John Getz shows up and shoots the cord. And as Brundle, who is now, oh, before this actually happens with that, oh man, we even got to the crazy scene because I'm like, but wait, something happens beforehand. <laughs> so Seth gets um, John Getz's character onto the ground and spits up all this acid, or no, before he gets him on the ground, spits up all this acid all over his hand in this cool melting hand effect. Uh, which was done, I think, by like taking like hair dryers and this wax yeah. type thing and trying to melt it down. And it's so cool to watch it in this um, stop motion type effect or speeding it up, however they did. It's such a cool moment. Then he just vomits all over his leg, melts his ankle down, and you're like, holy shit, he's about to hit him in the face. And then Gina Davis is like, no, don't do it. Uh, he throws her into the pod. He's getting into the pod. He's going to get them together. That's when John gets like, somehow picks up the shotgun, shoots at the cord. 
she, uh, you know, Gina Davis's pod is not going to work. But uh, now Brundlefly, who has become a fly by this point, before he's gotten into the pod, we see his face break away. Like he goes the- from being looking like he is just wearing a skin suit at this point. My my favorite effect, and we we had mentioned this in the trick or treat episode, but we it's yeah. it's when the the skin atop whatever is coming apart is almost peeled off or parted away like it is like a sleeve of some kind is incredible like but this way it like almost it breaks off like a banana it's like it's coming yeah. like undone as he's like shedding an exoskeleton of well, other like skin. merging from a cocoon yeah it's like taking that yeah and taking that like shedding his his human skin into this brundlefly the real brundlefly yeah and then yeah, at that point he he gets into that and is trying to merge with her. Man, I'm mixing all this up because it's such an intense thing at the end. I always keep wanting to jump to this ending it's moment. It's just so sad. Um, it, it, like I cannot emphasize it, it, how sad it really this movie makes just, me because it's, it's like you you get to see this guy like clearly lose his mind and try to oh. like you think he's rationalizing what he can do to either make himself feel better. He's begging to like have her like help him become human again he wants to be like yeah he, he has these irrational thoughts of like i want to be an insect politician because they they're vicious and they don't have any po- like his his mind is still like trying to chug along with this energy but like it's just killing his body yeah the in- the insect politician thing was pretty great that's that's such a it's a really great moment in the film. It, it's sad because, um, like, that, that you, you, like I, general, have, it's very I have seen it's that type of rationalization depressing. and, like, just spitballing right. ideas out kind of thing where you're like, oh, man, this person just really needs help and is gone. And, like... Well, I mean, he is he is bonded with the fly on this molecular genetic level. Like, there's no way to separate it at this point. Yeah. You know, the way that it's been merged is something that can't be undone. But now he thinks in order to combat that, he needs to put humans in with him. If he puts more uh, genetic, human genetic material in there, he will become more human and less fly in his weird warped mind. So that's why he wants to merge with, with Gina Davis and the baby. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't just pick a bunch of other people and just go, hey, I found these 20 people. I'm going to put them all in this pod, and then I'm going to merge with them. Boom, look, I'm almost uh, human again, maybe. Um, but he takes this this route, and when you know her pod is, uh, the, the cords are destroyed, he tries to get out of the pod as it's, you know, doing its thing. Right. And it, it does its merge, and it takes part of the telepod along with Brundlefly and makes Brundlepod. Yeah. And I... Which... Which is just is so It's so depressing, but it is one of the... I mean, he literally is Brundlepod. Like, he is part pod, part yeah. run Because you see, like, the rivets you know. in his, like, body, and he's just, like, a withered worm of a thing. And it's just like yeah, it turned can't. into his rib cage type thing. Like everything tried to morph into him to become some sort of creature, mm-hmm. um, and it it has this strange tail like appendage because everything kind of merged together at the end. Mm-hmm. It's just and so he pulls sad. out and well, you think he's going to attack again, and instead she's holding this shotgun, and it puts the shotgun up to its head. Yeah. Because it's still it's still a little bit of Seth in there, and that part of him is just like, kill me, I'm this abomination. Yeah, I want to die. You Please have to kill me. It. 
And at first she's like straight up no. And then cries for a moment and the judge just blows his head right off. Yeah. And and just, we and we just have we just have crying and then cut to credits. It's Yeah, movie. It's over. very, very like abrupt and sad. Uh it's it's almost, a tra- you know, it's a tragedy, so. but it's like it's not like mm. a good ending. Like there's no real like Yeah, but it, it it has that whole like Shakespearean tragedy ending where it's like I suppose something awful just happened, people are now dead and play. Uh our protagonist, supposed protagonist, is now dead. Um I I think it's great. I think it's a it's a stark tale. And because it begins so quickly, that's why it ends so quickly. We don't need a follow-up resolution. You know, we do get one with a sequel, unfortunately, and then I think, I don't know, there's talks about, there's there's remakes that are going on right now, there's talks about doing sequels, yeah. there's all sorts of abandoned sequels that happened with this film. There's a lot going on with it. Uh, it's, a, it's a great film in itself. Like, just, I would say watch it and then just end there. <laughs> and then just, and then that's about it. <laughs> I mean, as I said before, like, if you watch the, if you watch the Fly 2, if you have any interest in the Fly 2, fine, watch it. I am almost 100% sure you will then appreciate the Fly that much more. Yeah, I don't seem to find um, any real interest in, uh, in the Fly 2 because uh, it's just, it would only prolong this sad, sad story, uh, that I already like it doesn't leave a bad taste in my mouth because I'm still kind of in wonder at like the like awesome tragedy of it all. But like after that, I'm just like, Oof, I think I've had enough of this. If it were any longer, I think it would be one of those movies that people wouldn't revisit as much. Yes. Uh, but uh, because it is, a, you know, a tight 96 minutes, it's something you can put on. You get into it right away. It's a film that's on TV a lot. You'll see this on on TV almost all the time. They can put a good amount of the violence in there. They're good at cutting away on some of that stuff. It's That's actually one of the first. I think I saw The Fly first on TV uh, when I was probably like five or six. Yeah. And then I watched it later when I, you know, I rented it probably in the early 90s. And, man, that's... It, it, you know, it, it's a little different. The gore is definitely heavier, and there are moments that you see some stuff in there that you're like, oh, that's what happened during this scene. That is disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, uh, but it's... It, it's it, it's pretty vile. Um, I think the main it, takeaway it really from is, this yeah. movie is just the mastery of David Cronenberg's effects team. Um, because I think mm-hmm. David Cronenberg, he's pretty a, sen- he's a sensational director. He's made two of my favorite movies of the early 2000s, A History of Violence and Eastern Promises, and those are just... Not even horror movies, just hard drama. Though that's like you know, it's but that's that's the weird thing is that I oh man, I love a history of violence, and I was talking to some people who have the graphic novel A History of Violence, and they hate the movie because it deviates so much. And I read part of the graphic novel, I looked through a bunch of stuff, and I'm like, oh, holy shit, this is a completely different take almost it's a very abridged version of this graphic novel that goes in a almost completely different right and we're not and we're not exactly uh, reviewing history of violence here but it's a uh, no 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 the the movie that it makes is a tight simple and effective story and that's pretty much is what he is great at uh the movies that he he makes doesn't really have any fat on them they expedite the story to what you absolutely bare minimum need to know to get to a dynamite finishing point uh for almost every single movie and like this is a tenamount example like this is a perfect 
Cronenberg movie. Like, th- this is yeah, But I think that's what people need to know before going into a Cronenberg film, because a lot of, you know, some people don't understand that, it, it, for the most part, his stuff is going to be very, very streamlined mm-hmm. and very to the point, and it's not going to follow tradition so much like you know a history of violence is very different the fly is very different from the original story and from the original film uh all of his stuff and his adaptations are very uh lean versions but done so 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 well right yeah i i I completely like yeah like basically existence was uh almost like the matrix but how how much can you pare it down into something that is like as lo-fi as possible yeah and that's basically what he did with that and that's kind of why i like his movies so much uh is that he he just has this innate ability that most other directors <laughs> you know he, he can do he well he can just do stuff he, he's extremely creative and can do stuff on a, on a very low budget that seems effortless uh, but if someone were to try and do that, any other director, it would it, you would realize how difficult it really is. For sure. Well, I think that's a so, clear and yeah. solid recommend from all of us. I, th- I think you would agree. Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah. I mean, no no question whatsoever. I, I mean, absolutely just amazing. So uh, if you haven't seen The Fly, see The Fly. Yes. Um, hopefully you've already seen it. Uh, but yeah, that, that'll do it for us for this week. Uh, so... Steve, what are we uh, what are we talking about for next? Well, week? we got the we got the big daddy of them all, 1970s oh, yeah. classic, The Exorcist. Like, like, drop some air horns in there or something. That's like, it has been like, 45 years mm-hmm. since The Exorcist hit theaters and scared the living hell out of everyone so uh we are going to be talking about that um sometime later in the week uh so make sure to you know subscribe and like and everything like that that'll give you automatic updates we are going to be putting out a couple of extra episodes this month so definitely subscribe so you'll get those immediately yes exactly and feel free to check us out on on social media on twitter Facebook at oh the horror cast is the at across platforms and uh, feel free to email us at oh the horror cast at gmail.com and thank you so much for listening please feel free, feel free to review us on iTunes or your platform of choice it really helps out the show so we can get more listeners and if you like it please share it with your friends uh, it's the month of Halloween and uh, we really like to hear from you guys so thank you guys so much again and until next time I'm Steve Allman and I'm Rob Holmes we'll see you next time everybody Time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here.